I'm Jennifer Grayson, and this is the Uncivilized Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Uncivilized Podcast. I'm Jennifer Grayson coming to you from my studio here in Los Angeles as the rains are clearing outside, enjoying a nice cup of homemade bone broth. I don't know if that falls more into my uncivilizing way of life or just makes me sound like an LA hipster. But anyway, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. I'm coming back to you a little bit later than I had anticipated due to an extended illness and also the teacher strike here in the Los Angeles Unified School District, which was national news a couple of weeks ago. Both of my daughters are in LAUSD. We, of course, wanted to support our teachers and their fight for a future beyond our current industrialized, urbanized model of Western education. So we did not cross the picket lines. That's right. Much as I would like to fantasize about homeschooling on a bucolic homestead somewhere, this is our current reality. But that's why I am excited to bring you an interview today with someone who is living that life. Admittedly, I have been living vicariously through the videos he and his family create. That guest, Kip Smith of the very popular Thousands of Roots blog and YouTube channel, he and his wife Carrie and six children, ages 15 years to 19 months, live in a 500-square-foot off-grid home on 20 acres in the Missouri Ozarks, where they are, they are homeschooling and homesteading using permaculture design principles. As you're going to hear, their way of life is very much rooted in their faith, their Christian faith, and yet I think you're going to be fascinated to hear this was a life that Kip never could have imagined for himself growing up in a secular family in suburban Southern California. I'm going to leave it at that and let his story speak for it, for itself. But I really, really enjoyed our conversation that we had about consumerism, about faith, learning to homestead from scratch, and so much more. I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on this show. You can reach out to me on my Instagram page. That's at Jennifer Grayson one. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your continued support. And I will be back to you soon with a new episode. I know for me, my schooling experience was really horrible um, growing up. <laughs> All right. So tell me about, tell me about that. You grew up in Thousand Oaks, California. Yep. Grew up in Thousand Oaks, California. Um, I had a you know great family, but um, my family was a family of jocks. So, um, really, really into sports. How, and how many kids in your family? Did you have a big family like you do? No, I had an older sister and then two older half, half brothers. And who lived with you as well? They, my, my two older half brothers, they didn't, they lived with us just a little bit in my childhood. Um, but they were quite a bit older, you know, um, they were like, 15 and 20 years older than me so it was really just me and my sister me and my older sister so i was the baby okay kip sorry to interrupt you i'm hearing a something in the background what is that um, it's a, it almost sounds like something boiling that is the wood stove oh that's the wood stove all right that's really nice ambiance i'm <laughs> totally getting the picture now of you cozy by the wood stove yeah all right so go ahead please uh so you grew up in a family of jocks. They were super into sports. I take it you went to a conventional school? Yes. Yep. And what um, was so horrible about it? What are some of your earliest memories? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> please share. <laughs> um, I was one of those really bad influences on all my other schoolmates. <laughs> so in thinking about sending my children to school, I think about, man, they might rub shoulders with kids like me. So that's very frightening to me. Wow. Wait. So, okay. You got to, can you elaborate a little more? What exactly were you doing? I was the, um, see if I can get the pin under the teacher's cheek kid. Um, so that, you know, put on the chair so the teacher would sit on it. Um, and try to pass the notes, uh, disrupt as much as possible, get out of doing any work, um, sit next to the smartest kid, you know, and cheat from him. Okay. Uh, this is elementary school age or this is through high school? Uh, yep. Wow. All the above. Okay. Um, and it wasn't, you know, I wasn't like mean or... I was very sneaky. Um, yeah, I was very sneaky about it. So I didn't get caught very often because um, my sister taught me how to be really sneaky. Uh, she was <laughs> she was really filled with the Dickens. <laughs> and, uh, she was the one that um, Christmas time every year, she, she'd go and unwrap all the presents to look at them. Um, sneakily obviously our parents didn't know and then she would wrap them back up and make it look like she never looked at them oh wow um and yeah so it doesn't sound like anything horrifying it just sounds like maybe you were were you bored were you did you just love riling people up do you have any kind of perspective on it now that you're yeah oh i was very bored because all i wanted to do was get out to the playground and play sports um, I wanted to get out there and run and jump and throw and, you know, I wanted to be a boy. I wanted to be wild and free out there. Right. Um, but here I was trapped in this, you know, jail of a classroom and all I could do is stare out the window. Um, so yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. And, and so when you were a young man or when you were little, did you have any vision of how, did you ever imagine that you would be raising a family of six children on a homestead? Did this idea even occur to you? No way. No, I never had a dream nor a nightmare about it. <laughs> All right. No. So, so tell, tell me, I want to hear about this journey. So how did you meet Carrie? Let's start at the beginning yeah. of your family story. Yeah. Well, January 6th of 96, I had an experience um, where I met, um, I, that's when I became a Christian, uh, January 6th of 96. Uh, up until that time, I was way far away from, from doing anything like that. So you said you celebrated Christmas growing up, but it sounds like you were not particularly observant. Is that right? Well, we observed the presence and the food really well. Wow. Um, but... No, I, growing up, we would never went to church, never, um, I knew that, you know, saying the name Jesus as a curse word was a bad thing because mm -hmm. my mom always hated, my mom hated cussing. Um, and I knew that Jesus was some guy that drug a cross down the street. That's, that's pretty much all I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, so him being the baby and celebrating his birth on Christmas and all that, that, that didn't mean anything to me on Christmas. Um, 
growing up. So, um, yeah, so it was January 6th of 96. That's when I became a Christian. Um, now, that's that's a whole story of it in and of itself that we would take a whole episode to do. Can you, um, but, is, there a, is there a slightly shorter version of it? Um, can I do a condensed version? I know it's pretty hard to do that with such a powerful moment in your life, I can imagine. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I could try to do a condensed version because um, it's, it, it's the pinnacle. Well, not the pinnacle. It, it's the foundation for what we're doing um, now. It's the reason why I met Carrie and we had six children and doing what we're doing. Wow. So if you're willing to take a uh, shot at it, I, I'd love <clears throat> to hear it. Yeah, I will. Um, so when I came into adulthood, um, I tried college uh, for like one semester that didn't work. So I was just I was just wandering, floundering in life. And, and during that time, I was very much so in the party scene. Uh, all pretty much all through high school, I was in the party scene and then just continued. And I remember when I was 21, being in a room with like three of my buddies looking around. It was just it was just sad, you know, and I was 21 and we were getting ready to go to a bar. You know, I was going to go to a bar for the first time legally. And uh, it, I looked around and it was just sad because I was thinking about we had found friends of ours um, dead from drug overdose. Oh, We've seen wow. people. I, I saw people just disappear, whether it was going to jail or just gone. Um, and on that day on my birthday for 21, I was thinking about that and I just realized, you know, do I want to stay on this path I'm going on? You know, where's this taking me? This is, this is not good. Um, I realized I do not want to stay on this path. I don't want to see this to its end. So I have to change. So I decided I was going to go to Alaska. Um, that's where my grandparents uh, lived. They homesteaded up there, you know, 60 years ago at that time. Um, they had a bunch of land and they lived way out there in Alaska. I mean, um, at my grandmother's place, um, she did have a phone, but out at the farm where my uncle and all my cousins lived, they didn't have a phone out there. Um, they lived out there. And so I decided I was going to go to Alaska and, um, spend some time with my grandmother cause she was getting dementia and just get away. And while it was there in Alaska, that's when crazy stuff started happening to me. Like, um, I was looking for a four leaf clover. And I looked up to the sky and I said, if there's a God up there, let me find a four leaf clover. And within about five minutes, uh, I found a, a five leaf clover. Wow. And so I right there and then I knew I, there's a God. I don't know he or she, how many, but I know there's a God. Um, and then a little bit later, I heard two of my cousins kind of arguing. And my one cousin said, why do you read the Bible anyways? And my other cousin said, because it makes sense. I thought, that's that's weird. Okay. And then I was in my grandmother's loft and I found this Bible and I picked it up and I thumbed through it really quickly and I put it back down. But in my mind and kind of in my heart, I said, I'm not ready yet for that book. Had you ever read the Bible before? Nope. Never had. Um, I didn't even know the creation story, Adam and Eve. Uh, yeah, I didn't know anything. Uh, and uh, and then I went to work at a fish cannery in Seward, Alaska. 
And while I was there, I was asking the question of why am I alive? Because, you know, the decisions I had made and, and the things I had done, I should, I, I should be dead. But I was still alive. And when I asked that question of why am I still alive, I had a picture in my mind of I saw myself walking down a desert path with a bright light shining on me and I was wearing a white robe. Okay, that's weird. So I felt like that meant I was supposed to be a good person. I was supposed to do good things. And after four and a half months, um, it snowed for the first time in Alaska. And I'm like, I'm, I got to get out of here because uh, um, where I was staying at with my uncle, there was 13 people in that house and um, they didn't shower or bathe. And I was a city boy. So that was really tough for me. So when you said you got you had to get out of there, you were anticipating a very long and smelly winter? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was anticipating you being snowed in and just like dying from anyways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was a rough thought. So I'm like, I got to get out of here. So I got my ticket and I went, uh, went back to California, uh, moved back in with my parents. And um, how old were you? So I, I had just turned uh, 22. Um, well, I was just turning 22 um, when I got back home. I turned 22 shortly after that. So I was still 21. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a job. I cut my hair. I had long hair. I could pull it back in a ponytail and a you know goatee and everything. And uh, I, I had to get a job. So I had to cut my hair. Uh, so I did. And I got a job at Mimi's Cafe. I actually opened the Mimi's Cafe there in Thousand Oaks, California. And um, while I was working there, this girl befriended me. And um, she started to befriend me. I tried to stay away from her because she bothered me. Uh, she bothered me in this way, is that she was of the light and I wasn't, so it bothered me. So I just tried to politely stay away from her. So when you say of the light, what did that mean in you know, everyday that was, terms. Yeah, that was my understanding. It's just like she like exuded this goodness. Got it. And it, it bothered me. Um because because <laughs> I wasn't in line with that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um but she persisted and she befriended me. And then um I'll just interject, this isn't my wife, so just say that now. Okay. I, I like that. I was about to say, this must be Carrie. <laughs> yes. That's the anticipation builds. I know. So, <laughs> and, um, so we, we became friends and we went out on a couple dates and, and just not real dates, but we went out and like sat at, um, Starbucks outside together. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I never don't remember her ever Bible thumping me, but um, Jesus and God were just such a part of her being that um, it was just normal for her to talk about that, her, her relationship and um, that she had. And then this one night, uh, she asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus in my heart. And I said, is that what you have? She said, yeah. And I said, well, yeah, because she had hope, joy and purpose. And she said it was Jesus that gave her that. And I said, well, OK. I, I, if that's what gives you hope, joy, purpose, then I want it. And so that was January 6th of 96. And then um, I went to my neighbor's house, who was a pastor who I'd previously mocked to his face <clears throat> and told him that, hey, I just became a Christian. 
And uh, he took me under his wing. And um, so then fast forward uh, to three years, um, and I went to a Christian college in Northern California, uh, Redding, California. I went to Simpson College, and that's where I met Carrie. Um, that was the best thing I could have ever gotten at college was Carrie for sure. She was uh, she was a senior, and I was a 25-year-old freshman. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so she stayed one extra year um, uh, for her to get her teaching credential. Um, so I, I went to that college for two years. And once she got her teaching credential, we moved back down to Southern California, um, moved in with my parents until she could get a teaching job and we could kind of get settled. Um, but none of that ever really worked out. Um, we had Caleb uh, pretty quickly after that. When you were still living with your parents. Yep. When we're still living with parents. Um, and then we were, we, we only lived, we lived there for about two years. I think it was. Then we became apartment uh, managers in apartment complex. Um, moved to Arizona. Arizona is where we had um, Joshua and Nathan. And that's when I got my hands uh, on a, the first book I read um, by Joel Salatin. Um, I don't remember if it was You Can Farm or Salabar B. For, I don't remember which one it was because I have a, a bunch of his books now. But that got me thinking about – because I had a very negative image of a farmer. Um, you know, the the dumb hick wearing overalls with a piece of straw hanging out of his mouth and he's <laughs> and, and, and he's fat, you know. Uh, it's interesting because growing up in California now, you see farmers markets everywhere. Farming seems like a desirable kind of thing to do. But I guess we weren't there yet as a society. People weren't quite going back to the land yet, were they? No, they weren't. Uh-uh. <clears throat> yeah, my my introduction to farmers you know is what stuff i saw on tv that was about it and and farmers you know they they were sawbusters you know they weren't they weren't portrayed as uh, smart and savvy people at right. that time so what kind of life were you living at this time when you first stumbled upon joel salatin's books and i should I say was, for our listeners joel salatin many of you know joel salatin from michael pollan's book the omnivore's dilemma he's the one who really first brought to light this idea of how would you describe him kip well he's really revolutionary um as far as uh speaking and getting this knowledge out about ways to farm that actually can benefit the land um and um he's super intelligent he's third generation organic farmer and um He's passing on a legacy. His son has completely taken over the whole farm. So now Joel Salton, all he does is write and speak. Um, and he does chores that he wants to do. Right. <laughs> so n- knowing that it's passed on now to four generations, I think that speaks volumes for a family that's been able to do that. And that each succeeding generation has stuck to it and stayed with it and actually um, not just survived, but thrived um, doing that in that industry. And faith is very much a part of what he does too, right? It's not just organic farming for organic farming's sake. He really has a whole philosophy about how we treat other creatures and how we're meant to leave this earth. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 His uh, stewardship is, 
uh, I would say, a very important term and concept uh, for him. And it should be for all of us um, that we're here to steward the earth and um, and, and husbandry is, is another huge, very important um, term and concept. Normally, husbandry is animal husbandry, where you're husbanding um, your animals. So you have the authority over the animals, but you're tending them properly in a way that's honoring and um, and respectful. So, yeah. Right. I know, you know, honestly, that's, I mean, that's a tough term for a lot of people to hear these days. I, I understand it from a, a faith perspective, but, you know, especially with the women's rights movement and everything else, it's, do you, do you find any pushback against that idea of husbandry at all? Um, oh, absolutely. We've, you know, there's so much hate going on right now in the world. And um, that's what our YouTube channel is all about, is about blessing others and showing people that there's still love in this world. Showing people that I love my wife, my wife loves me, I love my children, my wife loves my children, and our children love us. And actually showing that on video um, has been kind of revolutionary <laughs> as as I'm hearing um, because people just don't show that that much uh, and even though we're showing that we still get pushback like um, oh how can you live so poor but you can't get your wife a proper washing machine and um, and then a lot of other quite hateful things and I can t tell right away that you know unfortunately this is a person that's had a bad experience or they have a really bad taste in their mouth towards um, a husband who walks in authority, shall we say. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I don't um, browbeat anybody. And so it's been, it's been very interesting, um, which I, I expected it. Um, Cause I, I do try to keep up on, um, on news, but um, I, I don't focus on it. I just get, I just want to keep up on the major things that are going on, um, but I don't focus on it. But the political climate uh, of today is very sad, and um, yeah, there's just there's a lot of hate there. So I find the best way to overcome hate is with love, right? Um, and then also we do have to fight back. You know, and in, in, in some ways you have to pick your battles. Um, so, for instance, on YouTube, when I have a comment that um, is, you know, might be sarcastic or something like that, sometimes I will take the time. And even though I get however many hundreds of comments, sometimes I will take the time and actually answer that comment and try to explain what's going on. Um, and I've actually had um, a, one of our subscribers come back and said, you know, I've watched a few more videos. Now I get it. Um, I'm so sorry that I was negative um, towards you before. Uh, so please accept my apology. And um, I really love what you guys are doing. Wow. Yeah. So I could have just deleted that person's comments and hide them from the channel. Um, as, as the creator and as that being our channel, I can do that where I can just hide the comments. So they're not seen by anybody or hide the, that, that person. Um, 
but I try to be, I try to be fair, you know, about it. And I want to try to give people a, a chance to see the truth of, of what's going on. Right. So. Right. So let's get back to your story uh, in Arizona, because I know we started talking about when you first discovered Joel Salatin's oh. book. So, uh, and I could definitely go on this tangent. Believe me, there is a lot to discuss about the state of the world now, and maybe we'll get there later on uh, when we're wrapping <laughs> things up. But so, t- so tell me about the life you were living. You came across this book. You originally had this negative view of farming and farmers. Mm-hmm. What was your life like in the early, you know, early marriage, early kids? What was it like in Arizona? Yeah, I was in retail management um, at that time. I had um, started working at Home Depot in uh, Thousand Oaks at, at the New Bay Park branch. And um, I transferred Home Depot to Home Depot um, to Arizona. So I continued at, at the Home Depot for quite a while until I was in, in management there. And that's when I, quote unquote, met Joel Salatin, you know, through his books. Right. Um, and that just got me thinking. And after living and um, and I transferred to Fry's uh, Marketplace, which is uh, Fred Meyer. Uh, so I got into management there. And then um, and then my sister-in-law, so Carrie's brother, o- older brother, uh, he was deployed and they lived in Alaska. Um, and they've been trying to talk us into moving to Alaska for a couple of years already. Um, but he was deployed. She had four children at home and she was having a really tough time. Um, and we were ready to leave Arizona. Uh, it was too hot there for me. I was not having a good time. Right. And um, I, I, I don't want to gloss over it, but I know that we, we were, you were there right in the middle of the whole housing crisis too, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. And so I know Arizona was really a huge that was like the epicenter of a lot of those. Uh, were you part of that? That whole absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, in a really bad way, actually. We had um, we had bought our first house, um, and we got it at a decent price, and um, and then a storm came and. Uh, a microburst. It blew off all the shingles on half of our house. It blew, blew the shingles off, and then it poured down rain for six to eight hours. So, our house got like half the house pretty much got destroyed from this. So we had to move out. And um, during that fix up, I actually invested a lot to remodel it and update it. Um, and uh, and then. <laughs> It was about a year after that, that the housing bubble burst. Wow. So I had just invested all this extra money um, and, and a whole lot of time into this house. And we were we were way upside down on that house. Um, all said and done. Um, so that was a bummer. Yeah. And I, I can imagine you were working quite hard at the time, too. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Young uh, family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had. um let me see. Was Nathan just a little baby at that time? So you had three. Yeah. Nathan, Nathan's your third. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nathan. Nathan was just a little baby. Um, Josh was well. He was a baby too. He was like two. Um, but Nathan was pretty much just born right during that time. Um, 
that was craziness. Wow. <laughs> crazy. I, I can imagine. Okay. So you decided to go to Alaska. Yeah. Um, and my family still had, um, all their holdings up there. Um, and unfortunately my, my grandma passed. And so uh, there was a possibility of getting some land as well. Um, uh, but that didn't work out because, um, my dad and his siblings were all, uh, in dispute, but, um, nonetheless, um, we were there. I worked at, I worked at Fred Meyer, um, and I was in retail management there. And I, while I was working there, I realized that I was getting so tired of the consumerism. Um, and being in retail management, it was so it, in my face, you know, basically, you know, they want you to just to throw stuff in people's carts, you know, get yeah. them to buy it. Tell, so tell me more about that. You're, you're tired of the consumerism. So with your own consumption or, or just your line of work or both? Well, actually, it was more cultural um, was, was the main thing. Um, the consumerism of America is what really started to it, it would actually start to if I, when I thought about it, my stomach would start to kind of spin, you know. Um, it was really upsetting me. Uh, and so I started thinking, okay, if, if the, and then of course, looking at my own consumerism and thinking, man, this is just not sustainable. Um, obviously I'm part of the problem. So how can I be part of the solution? Um, and that's when I really started thinking about that. Okay. If consumerism is the problem, then I need to become a producer. So and my goal needs to be that first and foremost, I need to produce more than I personally consume. So that's really what started us on the journey of, um, and we bought, oh, I can't remember the author's name, Born Again Dirt is the title of the book. All right, we'll link to it in the show notes. Um, I wish I could remember his name, but uh, read, read read his book, really good stuff. Um, was it pretty soon? Where was Carrie's mind during all this? Was she like, yes, let's let's do it. Let's simplify. Or, or was it harder? Were you not as aligned? No, she was actually um, like five steps ahead of me. Okay. <laughs> as, as is the norm. Uh, <laughs> but, but she lovingly will gently try to pull me along as far as in, in certain areas like with, with nutrition, you know. Um, uh, she's more like 20 steps ahead of me with, with, with nutrition. Uh, right. I love your videos, by the way. The, she gave me the great idea about the morning herb tea for the kids. Mm -hmm. I've been mm -hmm. doing that with my girls and they, they love tea, but I've just been trying to increase the you know diversity of the herbs and I got that from you. So yeah, I'm, I'm constantly picking up little tips from the videos I've watched from you. Awesome. The eggy pancakes, huge mm -hmm. fan. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, my wife is super uh, intelligent and talented and not to mention beautiful and all that. But anyways, um, so when I started talking to her about this, she was just like, yeah, I'm all in. So then we started studying, you know, OK, can we be producers in Alaska? At, at this point, we had um, just started experimenting with gardening. Um, we'd had one 
decent sized garden. And then we were starting an, another one at our own house. Um, and um, we were in Alaska for five and a half years. And so after, after about four years is when I really came to this, you know, okay, we need to be producers. So, um, and I was, I had transitioned from a retail management to a real, real estate agent. So I was a real estate agent at this point and started reading books, looking online, studying, um, talking to a lot of people who lived in Alaska and finally just came to the realization that, you know what, Alaska is not the right place to do this. Um, it's cold for too long. If, um, you know, the, the variety of foods you can grow are very narrow. You can't grow that many foods there. And then if you're going to have animals, um, so for instance, here uh, in a Ava, Missouri, um, almost every year we get two hay cuttings. Uh, often there's three. In Alaska, you're only going to get one ever. So, you know, if you have if you have um, 20 acres that you can hay here, you know, that's 20 acres times two at least or times three. In Alaska, you know, to, um, to do that same thing, you're going to have to have 40 acres or 60 acres. So the infrastructure would have to be ginormous. So right. kinda, and it seems right. like so Alaska is very focused too more on, on hunting, it would seem as like and wild game right it is yeah. hunting and fishing mm -hmm. yep and we did that we uh i dip netted you know i came home with 30 something uh, salmon uh, one time and um kind of a funny story my wife had always said that she loves salmon so uh, cool i'm gonna go dip netting and she's gonna you know make awesome meals with this salmon and then i found out that her definition of saying that she loved a food was a lot different than mine like I say I love steak. That means I could eat it every day, right. and I could and I could do it differently, you know. But I could eat it every day. She meant that she loves it like once a month. Yeah. Uh... So coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, so coming home with thirty something salmon, it's like, and nobody likes it. I'm like, oh man. <laughs> so what did you do with it? Did you sell it? Were you eating salmon jerky for eight months? What happened? Yeah. Um, we, we gave it away. Uh, we did eat it. Um, I, I did smoke some and kind of kind of jerked it that way. And we froze a lot of it and then just, you know, slowly ate it. Um, but yeah, so obviously that wasn't a good fit. If, if salmon is like the main thing you can get every year, you know, by detonating to be a major source of, of meat and nobody likes it. It's like, oh man, this is just not a good right. fit. You better us. love salmon and moose. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. All right. So, okay. So, you, so what made you decide Missouri? Well, we studied the whole nation. Um, and, um, we took about a year and we studied and prayed and, um, we looked at, uh, political climate. We looked at, um, egress and ingress. So, uh, population densities and, uh, what egress and ingress is, is when major populations, what's their route of travel? Um, and we looked at laws of the land, um, homeschool laws, building codes, um, annual, uh, rainfall, um, how long the growing season was, um, 
It sounds like you read a yeah. book that I also have. I can't remember the title. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like how to find a safe place. Is there is there like a doomsday element to this or no? You're just looking in terms of what's the most sustainable place to live. Well, you know, when I was in Alaska, I, I, I did become prepper minded. Um, now, I never went nuts and got, you know, tons of dry food, you know, and stocked it away or anything. But I was spending a lot of hours learning those skills. Right. Um, primitive fire, um, primitive traps, um, you know, hunting, obviously, was an aspect, fishing, all that. Yeah. Oh, Strategic Relocation. Have you read that book? By Joel something. I'm looking, I'm looking at it right now in my office. Yes. Yes. Joel, um, Joel Scusen, or I'm going to, I'll link to it in, in the notes. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, so, all right. So yeah. you came a little from that place too, where you were definitely learning those skills. Oh yeah. Big time. Um, you know, I would take my kids out and we would, we would go start fire and I teach them, you know, how to build a, um, a primitive shelter, you know, and we, we'd always talk about those things. And, um, but then we started studying, okay. And at, when I was looking at all that, I, I asked Carrie, I said, hey, so where's all the family members in all these videos? So like Dave Canterbury, you know, he can go out and in the woods and, and, and survive for ever. You know, if he wanted to, and he could take students out there. And I said, okay, for, for these students, where's the wife and where's where's the five children that this one guy needs to take care of? Right, right. And it's like, well, they they couldn't do that. I said, exactly. So this prepper mindset, um, it has a serious pitfall. Um, I was talking to my brother-in-law, you know, and he said, well, if I had to, you know, I could go out, you know, in the woods and, and, and do this. And I said, okay, well, how are you going to, who's going to take care of the baby? Why you do that? Well, my wife will. Okay, so how, how are you going to feed all eight of you? And he's like, hmm. So how are you going to feed all eight of you while you're building a, a log cabin? How, how, how are you going to do all that? And he's like, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. Time for plan so, B. Yeah. Time for plan B. So that's what I started thinking about. Like what's plan B, <laughs> you know? Um, and then I came across these weird people that call themselves homesteaders, but I thought only homesteaders existed like in the 17, 1800s. Oh, so you hadn't even heard about the movement yet. Nope. No, even though I was moving that direction, <laughs> hadn't even heard about the movement yet. Um, and pretty soon around that same time, I think we came across Justin Rhodes, um, YouTube channel. Um, have you looked at any of his videos? I have not. So he's a big homesteader on YouTube. He is. Yeah. Um, and he was the first one that I saw who was doing homesteading with his children and integrating because I was telling Carrie, I said, you know, I would be so much more interested in this if the whole family was involved. And there was like the missing thing. And um, so finally saw someone who was doing that. And I said, that's it. You know, um, 
and uh and so all of our study for the for, you know for the whole year 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 and a half of the whole nation it came down to missouri or idaho for our criteria and then we looked at price and missouri won hands down right um hopefully you won't get an influx of people heading to missouri now after listening to this (laughs) hey come on i mean as as long as you want to be producer you can come yeah okay um well, we're we're always going to be consumers, but like I said, if we can produce more than we consume, then that's that's a win. And uh, and sustainability is a huge part of my whole mindset. Um, that's the direction we're going. We're not sustainable at all yet, but uh, we're still under under construction. So yeah. So tell me about that because I know we're running short on time, and just so I don't want to run too much over. But what's so? What's your vision? What's where are you going? You've been doing this for four years mm-hmm. now. Yeah, mm-hmm. we've, we've been here on the property for about four years. Um, we've been building debt-free, so we can, you know, we can only do the building as we're provided for. Um, but the vision is to have a sustainable um, farm that is very multifaceted. We want to have um, three large gardens um, and Connected to those gardens will be chicken runs. So the chickens will be very integrated with the garden. So garden scraps and everything can just be thrown right into the chicken yards. And extra materials into the chicken yards. Once that's all broken down, then we take all that soil and throw it right back into the garden. So that's why the chicken runs are next to the gardens. Um, As well as having um, cows. We want three cows. At all times, one bull and two females. Um, you know, a prepper term is is two is one, one is none, and um, I still live by that. So, two milking cows. So then, when you have to dry one up, you still have one to milk. Right. Um, and then have a bull. So then it's a s- sustainable deal. So he can breed them, and then if we ever have to replace a cow, then we can keep one of the the calves um, back. Um, so is the goal to, to only grow and raise what you consume to be 100% self-sufficient? Do you think that's achievable? No, that's not achievable. Um, it's idyllic, um, but it's not truly achievable uh, unless we absolutely had to. I guess if, if, uh, if the whole society did collapse, um, I would like to think that we could go there. Um, which I believe we could, but when you really get down to it, um, where's our clothing going to come from? Um, so, I mean, there, <laughs> I've obviously thought this through um, quite a bit, and I've talked about it with my wife. But we want to, our goal within, like, I would say our goal within the next two years, um, we want to be at about 75%. So 75% of all that we consume, we want to produce. And where are you now? We're at a, probably about 35%. Okay. But that's after just a few years. So mm-hmm. coming from a place where you literally had no homesteading experience. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. None. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a brutal learning curve. 
Yeah. Well, you said from the beginning that this is there's it's a real daily grind. So maybe mm-hmm. uh, just in closing, what what do you say to families who look at you on YouTube and who see that this seems so idyllic, especially for the children? You know, in a world where kids are inundated with stuff and being enclosed in a jail of a school a lot of the time, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and don't have that sense of purpose that your kids do. What what do you say to the families who look at you and want to maybe pursue this path? Um, it's it's kind of like it's either stop or go. Um, so meaning that I've actually seen two or three families come out here and not succeed and pack it up and leave, uh, not here on our property, but here in the area, um, because everybody wasn't unified that they were going to do this thing. So you, you have to be unified and you have to be fully vested that you are going to do it. It's either all or nothing. Um, Meaning you're going to have to give up some things, but then you're going to gain a lot. So the best way to to do it would be to go have a vacation um, somewhere, maybe on somebody's homestead and, you know, see if you can live there for a while and see how it is. Um, see how they live. See if that's something you could do. So what's so, been the secret to your success? Do you think do you think it's faith? Do you think you need that for this lifestyle? Um, well, I know I do personally. That's that's a huge thing. It's cuz I I feel called to this. So like I've told some other um have some other uh friends and neighbors around and I have this this one neighbor up the street. He's a he's he's a little bit older, Mark. Um, he's just like, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you keep doing it. And I just said, well, when you know that, you know, that, you know, that, you know, that you're supposed to do something, it doesn't matter what comes up. It doesn't matter what obstacles um, come up or difficulties arise because you know, you're supposed to do it. So you just keep doing. And I feel like I'm called to do this and called to raise my family this way. So the trials and difficulties and all the things that happen, it's like, we just deal with them. Um, they're not like signs, you know, that we shouldn't be doing this because we're not looking for any kind of sign like that because it doesn't matter. I know we're doing what we're supposed to do. Thank you so much, Kip. It's been so wonderful talking to you. I wish your beautiful family all the best. Where can people follow you? Where can they watch your videos? How can they support your work? Yeah. Um, Come on over on YouTube to Thousands of Roots. That's a one, triple zero of roots, thousands um, of roots. And um, check us out there. Comment, you know, subscribe, of course. Uh, we are, I'm, I am on Facebook with uh, Kip Smith. Um, though I am uh, planning on creating a page, uh, a group, Thousands of Roots, um, there. Just haven't done it yet. So those are the two places. Fantastic. And how can people, you also have a Patreon, right? We do. So so how can people connect with you there? Um, Really the easiest way is to go to our uh, YouTube and then we have a clickable link on our about page and then down in the show notes. 
Uh, so you can find us on uh, Patreon. And Patreon, we, we create um, exclusive videos that go on Patreon. So you do get exclusive material there. Fantastic. And we will link to all of those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Kip. Thank you, Jennifer. Really my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio so you don't miss the next one. And please don't forget to leave us a rating and review. If you want to talk more about this episode or have an idea for a future show, head on over to my Instagram page. That's at JenniferGrayson1. As with every episode, the resources and links for the show are available at jennifergrayson.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out once a month. Our theme music is by composer Paul Damien Hogan. That's it for me, and I'll be back soon with a new episode.